This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Welcome to Novels, Plays and School Days, our education series tackling the study of English novels and plays on the junior and leaving certificate exams. In studio today, we are once again joined by the students of Larkin Community College and their teacher, Michelle Fallon. Now, if you'd like to go around the table, you're all very welcome to the studio. If you'd like to introduce yourself around the table so we all know who you are. My name is Janelle Lowell. I'm 17 years old and I'm from Blanchestown, Dublin. My name's Callum Gavin. I'm 16. I'm from Kundagan. My name is Amy Haney, I'm 16 and I'm from City Centre. Uh, my name is Radka Hodlova, I'm 16 and I'm from Fisber. My name is Michaela, I'm 17, I'm from Blanchester. My name is Ryan, I'm, from, I'm 16 and I'm from Fingless. Okay, you're all very welcome to the studio, as is um, your teacher, Miss Fallon. And the novel that we're looking... Well, it's not really a novel, it's more of a short story, isn't it? It's Foster by Claire Keegan, and you're studying that as part of your comparative study in conjunction with the play The Plough and the Stars and the movie The King's Speech. Is that correct, yeah? Yes. Okay. Michelle, could you just briefly maybe explain to the listeners exactly what the comparative study is on the Leave Insert and, and what students are asked to do on that? Um, there's three different modes for higher levels so literary genre, general vision and viewpoint and um, compl- or sorry, theme and issue and what the students are have to do or required to do is study uh, the two texts in a film, a higher level or two texts at ordinary level and discuss how each text relates to each other and compare and contrast them and um, in terms of Foster Uh, One of the questions that comes up on ordinary level, now I know that you're higher level students as well, but we were just going to look at some of the ordinary level issues as well, is um, this whole idea of relationships and complex relationships. It's basically about a young girl who's sent to stay with distant relatives in rural Wexford. Wexford, Rural Wexford. And um, it's... It's, it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint exactly what it is about, but it's about her time with um, a, a set of kind of surrogate parents to look after her and a, her life is very different with them to what it is at home and that unfolds that she's from quite an impoverished and an abused background as well. Though it's not said explicitly, is it, in the book? It's no. just kind of hinted at, how, isn't how, why it? Is it? It's why heavily is it? implied that she's abused, but we don't know. Yeah. yeah. And how is it heavily employed in the in the book? Can you give examples of that or, or how the writer... It's, it's implied that the father's an alcoholic and can be a bit of a violent drunk. Yeah. And her mother seems to be a bit weary of her husband, but she can't get out of the marriage because she, she, she loves him, but she kind of hates him, but she can't get out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and when you talk about relationships, and we're looking at this question of relationships, so what relationships are in the book? So the first relationships is the girl and her father. So is that a, is that a good relationship, do we think? Or? No. no. Okay, so when you say in your comparative study it, it's not a great relationship, it's not a positive relationship, what examples can you give um, like, of stuff uh, that happens? When he forgets her stuff... Like to leave it, he leaves it in the car and he doesn't give it to her. That's just showing that he's like uncaring, that he's not really looking after her. And he's just, he doesn't really feel like dropping her. He just, he just went because he had to. Yeah. So he's not really showing like a good, being a good father to her. Yeah. And when you think of it, she's only about 10, the girl in the story, and she's being left with distant relatives who she doesn't really know by her father. And um, he doesn't really show any love, as you said when he's leaving her. Any other examples of um, her father, a relationship with her father that shows you 
that it's it's not a great relationship in the book. When they're in the car on their way to the relatives, he's kind of dismissive of her of our questions like oh the trees what about the trees I don't really care yeah he's, he's very dismissive of his daughter he doesn't really care for her yeah he doesn't really show her any really love or tenderness does he out in the yard my father throws the rhubarb into the back seat gets in behind the wheel and starts the engine good luck to you he says I hope this girl gives you no trouble he turns to me, try not to fall into the fire, you. I watch him reverse, turn into the lane and drive away. Why did he leave without so much as a goodbye or ever mentioning when he would come back for me? What's ailing your child, the woman says. I look at my feet, dirty in my sandals. Kinsella stands in close. Whatever it is, tell us. We won't mind. Lord God Almighty, didn't he go and forget all about your wee bits and bobs, the woman says. No wonder you're in a state. Well, hasn't he a head like a sieve, the same man? Not a word about it, Kinsler says. We'll have you togged out in no time. Is there any examples where you show that he does care about her or there is a positive? No. No. Not that I remember. No, no not that I can think of. Just want to ask some questions about where she's gone. Yeah. She keeps to herself. I mean, obviously they're from quite a, a poor background and when they come to the relatives who are uh, much better off than them, uh, there's a kind of a spread laid out for tea. But he doesn't feed his daughter first or give food to his daughter. He kind of sits down and eats himself, doesn't he? Which yeah. kind of yeah. shows... And then uh, he says to the kinsters as well that he, they can work her, that all she has to be is fed. Like, he's not really showing care for her. He's saying that she can be treated like an animal. The kettle rumbles up the boiling point, its steel lid clapping. Kinsella gets a stack of plates from the cupboard, opens a drawer and takes out knives and forks, teaspoons. He opens a jar of beetroot and puts it on a saucer with a little serving fork. Leaves out sandwich spread and salad cream. Already there's a bowl of tomatoes and onions chopped fine, a fresh loaf, ham, a block of red cheddar. And what weighs Mary? The woman says. Mary? Ah, she's coming near her time. I suppose the last baby is getting hardy. Aye, that says. He's crawling. It's feeding them that's the trouble. There's no appetite like a child's, and believe you me, this one is no different. Ah, don't we all eat in spurts, the same as we grow, the woman says, as though this is something he should know. She'll eat, but you can work her. Kinsella looks up at his wife. There'll be no need for any of that, he says. The child will have no more to do than help Edna around the house. We'll keep the child gladly, the woman echoes. She's welcome here. And, and what about her relationship with her mother? Because how do you find out what a relationship with the mother is like? Because she's not in it very much, is she, the mother? No, it's. I think when she speaks to John Kinsa about uh, when her mum won £10, I think it was, yeah. On the on the lot, oh, and she bought her ice cream, and like the only thing that she had, the only money that she had, she actually spent. She spent it on her as a treat instead of buying something that they actually needed. What did her father do with the only? Yeah, he he just spent it in like on alcohol and gambling. He got himself, got himself a liquid supper. <clears throat> yeah, and do you think the girl cares for her mother? Do you think they have a kind of a caring relationship? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is there any examples you can think of? 
she's defend like she sticks up for our mother when like she's saying that she does what she can like because she has so many kids she has to look after them all. I mean, why is she being sent to her parents or to um, the relatives? Why, why is she being sent? Yeah. Because they've literally no nowhere to. No money to feed they're her expecting or take another care baby, yeah, so they yeah. can't yeah. look after her. So she's expecting another baby as well. And what do you think of that? I mean, just going out of the relationship question for a little bit and maybe the, the cultural context of that. From the book, what do you think the, the, the position of women was? So the two main women in the book are her mother and then Edna, uh, which is the Edna Kinsler, the woman who looks after her temporarily. So what do you think life was like for uh, the mother, why was she having in the culture? Why was she having so many kids? Because back then the Catholic Church didn't approve of contraception. Basically, like if you if you have sex, you're more more or less going to have a kid. Yeah, yeah, I think women were portrayed like they have to be like stay at home mom and like just keep cooking clean and look after the kids and that's it. So the husband goes out to work, but instead of him actually providing for home, he was like abused that money that yeah. they had. So she had no choice but to stay at home because she couldn't go out and work. Do you think divorce would have been acceptable? No. no. And it didn't even exist no. in 1981. <laughs> and if, if there's no contraception, women have had no control over the lives, so they had to just keep having having babies as well, which is, is very different to, to how things are today. So I suppose, in a sense, that woman was looked down upon because she was having too many kids and she was, you know, she was living in, you know, squalid conditions and they didn't have much of a life. And... What about the woman Edna? What about her character? So, what what's the most important thing about Edna as a woman? She she does work like she works around the farm. She milks a cow. She does a bit of the not farming. She kind of gets the hay and yeah. stuff. But she does also stay at home a bit, and wash, cook, and clean. But she is she's not how do I put it? She's a bit more. She's a bit more uh, hands on about the whole. She's respected approach. by people as well and she has like a balance in her life where she has time to stay at home but she also has time to go out and work for herself so she has like hobbies and personal things going on with her. Like the girl's mother wouldn't have any of that. She wouldn't even yeah. have a chance to go out at all. Uh, and what's the main difference between the two women? Is well, the, her her sister's better off and she doesn't have kids so she has more time on yeah. her hands to do other things that she wants. She goes out into the streets and she meets the, the, the woman. I can't remember the woman's name. Maybe you can tell me the, the kind of local gossip. Mildred. Mildred. Yeah. When she meets her, is she, does she, is she positive towards Edna? I mean, what does she No, talk? she's a bit of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. And how is she? Like, what she's, does she talk to Edna She about? keeps bringing up the fact that her child actually died. And she's kind of like, oh, you're, you have this new baby. Men, you better not do something with her yeah. and she's always like she's just talking to everyone she doesn't really have a, a filter between her brain and her mouth yeah. she just wants to put everyone down she just picks on like the smallest things to annoy someone yeah. or irritate them and obviously the, the relatives <coughs> didn't tell um, the girl that their son had died in an accident that they did have a child but it's her that tells the child and she tells her quite vindictively doesn't she, she you know she said she'll take her home from the wake and then asks her all these kind of nosy, busybody questions and then actually tells her about the child. Yeah, she's taking advantage of the fact that she's like a young, innocent child, that she doesn't know what she's like saying and stuff. So she'll say anything just to get more gossip so she can have some fun in her own life. When we are out on the road and the goodbyes are said, Mildred strides on into a pace I can just about keep and as soon as she rounds the bend, the questions start. Hardly is one answered before the next one is fired. 
Which room did they put you into? Did Kinsley give you money? How much? Does she drink at night? Does he? Are they playing cards up there much? Do you say the rosary? Does she put butter or margarine in her pastry? Where does the old dog sleep? Is the freezer packed solid? Does she skimp on things? Or is she allowed to spend? Are the child's clothes still hanging in the wardrobe? I answer them all easily until the last. The child's clothes? Aye, she says. If you're sleeping in his room, you must surely know. Did you not look? Well, she had clothes I wore for all the time I was here, but we went to Gordy this morning and bought new things. This rig out you're wearing now? God almighty, she says. Anybody would think you were going on for a hundred. I like it, I say. They told me it was flattering. <laughs> flattering, is it? Well, well, she says. I suppose it is, after living in the dead's clothes all this time. What? The Kinsel's young lad, you dope. Did you not know? I don't know what to say. That must have been some stone they rolled back to find you. Sure didn't he follow the old hound of theirs into the slurry tank and drown? Well, that's what they say happened anyway, she says. I keep on walking and try not to think about what she has said, even though I can think of little else. The time for the sun to go down is hours from now, but the day feels like it is ending. I look at the sky and see the sun still high and far away, a round moon coming out. What's the other big relationship in the uh, the book? The girl and... Edna. Edna. Yeah, OK. And what's the relationship like with, with her then? I think she has a, a good relationship with her auntie. Like, she she spends most of her time with her and she helps around and like she she develops, like, a really good, solid relationship that she doesn't have with her mum, so she feels like that they're almost her parents, mm. I guess. I I'd say she's still kind of warier of her because she never calls her Edna. She still always calls her the woman. And at one stage she mentions about Edna that when she's brushing her hair or something that she, um, it, it felt like her mother brushing her hair but there was something else there. In her touch. In, in her, her hands touch. Were um, what do we think was in the touch? Her hands were softer and, and what do we think she was, that the girl felt in her? Love. And what's the one quote that you can, can you remember that Edna says to the girl? That is no what... There's no secrets in this house. No secrets in this house. So she's she's trying to give a very open and caring and loving environment. She's trying to create that for the girl. In this heart lies she kisses me, a plain kiss, and then says goodnight. I sit up when she's gone and look around the room. Trains of every colour race across the wallpaper. There are no tracks for these trains, but here and there, a small boy stands off in the distance, waving. He looks happy, but some part of me feels sorry for every version of him. At some point, later in the night, it feels much later, the woman comes in. I grow still and breathe as though I have not wakened. I feel the mattress sinking, the weight of her body on the bed. Quietly, she leans over me. God help you, child. If you were mine, I'd never leave you alone with strangers. On the leave insert, on the ordinary level questions, it comes up this idea of, I don't know if you've done this now, but I'll put it to you anyhow, um, the question of, is there a hero, a heroine and a villain in the story. Do you think there's a definite hero 
heroine and villain in this story. Our hero is John. John, John yeah. yeah. Okay. He gives her this father figure that she's always wanted, but she's never actually had. And like we see a lot of emotion, especially in the book when she runs out calling him her dad mm. instead. So I think he's like a really strong figure over her life. And, and do you think she was she was looking for this father figure, or do you do you think she had any? She I think she's always I think she's always wanted to have someone there because maybe she had friends or whatever who had mm. fathers who cared more for her and her dad was always drinking her mom was always lonely so when she met John she kind of took the opportunity but she didn't want to get too close as well because she knew she wouldn't have him in the end yeah because yeah. he wasn't her real dad and there's that whole scene on the on the beach where where uh, John brings her to the beach what do we think that scene's about what does it show or it kind of just tells us that there's been a bond created and she's found a new father figure in her life. Yeah. And what's the significance, um, what they're looking at out in the distance? What are they looking at on the beach? The, light, the lights. The lighthouse, yeah. And what does it say? Um, there's oh, three of like, us now. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's like, there's usually two lights on the lighthouse, now there's three, that's like us. She's like the new addition to their family, Yeah. You know, she's going to have to leave. And he holds her hand, doesn't he, at that particular... And yeah, and I think she mentions that her father has never done that and she's probably just surprised and happy yeah, to feel loved yeah. for the first time. There's a big moon shining on the yard, chalking our way onto the lane and along the road. Kinsella takes my hand in his. As he does it, I realise that my father has never once held my hand and some part of me wants Kinsella to let me go so that I won't have to think about this. It's a hard feeling... But as we walk along, I settle and let the difference between my life at home and the one I have here be. Now, what about if you're comparing this to the other texts? So you've got The Plough and the Stars. So, um, at at ordinary level 2016, let's see. Relationships and texts can contribute significantly to the overall happiness or unhappiness of the characters involved. So looking at Foster, so the relationship in that text contributed, the relationship between the girl and her dad contributed to her unhappiness and the girl and John contributed to her happiness, I suppose. Am I phrasing that correctly? So what about your other texts? Can you give examples of relationships like Plan the Stars Stars. or King's Speech, whichever one you can... Well, one that would generate unhappiness would probably be uh, Bertie and his father, the king, because he always puts him down about his speech imp- impediment, his stammer. He's like, you'll never, you can never truly be a king if you're or a prince if you can't speak in front of crowds. And he's always putting him down, putting him down over his stammer. And then eventually, at the end of the film, after his dad dies, he be, he he gets over his stammer a bit. Yeah. Then in Plan the Stars, one that would be unhappy, but it kind of is funny. Yeah. Is the Covey and Peter? They're always taking the Mickey over each other. It's kind of, they're always put, well, it's more to Kobe antagonising yeah. Peter, but he's also giving it loads, but at the end, towards the end of the play, they are kind of like friends. And I suppose you can say that if you're answering the question, is that, you know, um, it's, you know, it's more obvious in Foster uh, that, you know, which relationships bring happiness and unhappiness, but then maybe in The Plough and the Stars, it's not as clear cut. Okay, and what about hero, heroines and villains in your other texts or... King's speech, well, the hero would probably be Lionel because he helps him get over that speech impediment. There's no real villain. It's like, I suppose the royals, like his family is kind of a villain apart from his wife. But you can't really say because they're not in it a lot. 
and heroin would probably be his wife. She always supports him. She's always there for him. She's like, you can do this. You can get over the speech impediment. And then he eventually does. But if there's no real like as much as you say the king is the villain, but he kind of dies not even halfway through. I suppose uh, the king's speech in comparison to the other two gives us a little bit of a positive outlook. Just, okay, yeah, and um, the rest are quite dark and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and Lionel never gives up on him as well. He always like keeps going, tells him he can do it, and he's always there for him even after Brady like does something wrong with him. He's yeah. always and in Foster we actually don't know what happens. It's very ambiguous. Yeah. We don't know whether she stays with her um, biological family or whether there's enough chance that she can live with the Kinsella's though. And what happens at the end of, of Foster, the final scene? It just cuts off with implying that the girl calls John Kinsella dad. And did you feel a bit sorry for Edna at the end of the story? Because remember, she's why is she? Why do we think she's crying in the car? What did we think she was crying in the car about? It felt like she was losing a child again okay. after losing her son and, and the girl. Yeah, yeah, okay. When she's dressed in her, in the her boys' clothes, clothes, yeah. And they go to mass, and the second time they go to mass, John says, "We have to get that girl new clothes." And she goes. She to doesn't want to let go of, like, the feeling that he's gone. Although mm. she knows he's gone, she she's still holding on to what she has left while yeah. she can. There is only one thing I care about now and my feet are carrying me there. As soon as he sees me, he grows still. By the time I reach him, the gate is open and I'm smack against him and lifted into his arms. For a long stretch, he holds me tight. I feel the thumping of my heart, my breaths coming out, then my heart and my breath settling differently. At a point which feels much later, a sudden gust blows through the trees and shakes big, fat raindrops over us. My eyes are closed now and I can feel him. The heat of him coming through his good clothes can smell the soap on his neck. When I finally open my eyes and look over his shoulders, it is my father I see, coming along strong and steady, his walking stick in his hand. I hold on as though I'll drown if I let go and listen to the woman who seems in her throat to be taking it in turns, sobbing and crying as though she is crying not for one, but for two now. I daren't keep my eyes open, and yet I do. Staring up the lane, past Kinsella's shoulder, seeing what he can't. If some part of me wants with all my heart to get down and tell the woman who has minded me so well that I will never, never tell, something deeper keeps me there in Kinsella's arms, holding on. Daddy, I keep calling him, keep warning him. Daddy! You kind of touched on it when we were looking there. You were talking about the King's Speech and how it's more of a positive um, text or a positive movie. And uh, I know it's not something you've done in depth at the moment, but general vision and viewpoint is another area of the comparative study. And um, just in terms of looking at that, uh, when you look at the general vision and viewpoint, you need to focus on whether uh, the feelings and atmosphere is positive or negative in the book and how it impacts on you. So... Just first off, how did you feel when you, you read 
or when you read Foster? How did it make you feel like, you know? It's depressing. Okay, yeah. Because like she doesn't have a relationship with her dad. Instead has to find that we are auntie and uncle. Yeah. And even then at the end is implied, well, what's gonna happen? We don't know. Yeah. Did you did you did you kind of expect something more positive at the end? No. Okay. You, you could kind of get through the out the tone of the, fi uh, of the film, the book. Yeah. Through that this is probably most likely not going to end very well. Yeah. It's bittersweet, I think. I think that's the hardest part. Yeah. The reader. Yeah. Is that you know she had it in her grasp and she has this realization that she never had before, and you're kind of thinking maybe it would have been better if she'd never gone to uh, went yeah. to, to down to them for the summer because now she knows what what should be like, and that's hard as a reader to. And what about that, that, the town that they grow up with it? Is it a kind of a, how does it portray that? Is it a positive image? No. It seems kind of like a place where everyone just gossips because of that one person, Mildred. And it doesn't seem like a positive place to live. Everyone just talks about each other. Yeah. It, seem, it seems like that kind of country town that everyone knows, everyone's going on with everyone. What about John, though? John, is a, he's a pillar of the community, isn't he? They yeah. They club together. Though. People kind of just turn to him for help whenever anyone needed anything. They'd just come up and he'd help them no matter what, even if he was busy. He was yeah. just like the pillar of the community. And at the wake as well, I suppose that shows how the community comes together because everybody turns up. And even though Edna said, you know, I shouldn't really bring you to, the, to this, I have to. Even though there's, there's a lot of pessimism about that, that town, there's some optimism, isn't there? Like some, some positive images, do you think? I'd say that's mainly just thanks to the Kinsellas because everyone else, like even Mildred, she was criticizing the funeral after going. Yeah. And that's a bit, I don't know, two-faced. So I don't know, the only positive thing I'd see is the Kinsellas. Yeah. And did you see any connections between that kind of community and the community and the plow and the stars? They're very together, but in different ways. Okay. Like the people, the people in, the, in Foster, they're together, but they're very, as everyone says, gossipy, and they're very negative, two-faced towards each other. While in the in the parallel set, they can clash a lot, but at the end of the day, they're still all they all live in the town, and they all kind of are buddies and friends. They look out for each other, even yeah. if they don't show yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. If they don't really like each other, like Bessie <coughs> yeah. Burgess and Muscogee cannot stand each other, but she still looks after Malzer when she's sick. What do you think about writing from the viewpoint of a child? Do you think that's a good way to think write a book? Do you think it's effective or? I think it's a better way to tell the story, like through her eyes, you know how she's feeling. But it is a bit harder to know what's going on. Like you kind of have to pick up on the little hints that she's given yeah. whenever she talks. It's not as clear, but it is a better way to tell the story. Did you like the book? Did you like the short story? Or what did you like about it? What did you not like? About it? I did like the fact that you weren't exactly given a happy ending. I know that's not really nice to say, but I'm, I'm always used to reading stories where you're like, oh, it's a happy ending. I like a bit of have an ambiguous ending yeah. or a sad ending sometimes because it makes it it makes it feel like more real real life doesn't not everything's a happy ending yeah yeah and at least if something if a story presents that there isn't a happy ending to be given it's more relatable i i did kind of like it but i just didn't like the fact that we didn't know what happened in the end okay. where she went against us if she stayed at home herself. yeah if like if if it wasn't written the way it was you probably wouldn't have cared at the yeah. end it's kind of like a you came and saved me my darling child my darling baby and that was the students of larkin community college and we looked at the story foster as part of the leaving cert comparative study the little ninja my little dancer
This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.